I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. We are recording this Monday, September 20 for release on the 27th, which means by the time you're hearing this, it's fall. Woohoo! Nice. It feels like it today. Thank God. We got like a little hint of it last week and then it just flared up all weekend. Um, so it's nice to be back in the 70s today. Yeah, and tomorrow I think we have a high in the 60s. Nice. Mm-hmm. My kids, like, they just don't get it. I've been trying to tell them for weeks. Like, pick out your favorite summer outfits and wear them because yeah. pretty soon it's going to be too late. Mm-hmm. You're not, and they want to wear shoes with socks. I'm like, what are you doing? This is like your last week, your last week to be able to wear sandals. Let's take advantage because before you know it, it's going to be socks and boots and pants and sweaters all day. I, I got to say, I'm looking forward to the the entire wardrobe change. I know. I am too. To be fair, I am too. Um, and then when you do have kids, that is when you have to like go through and get like make room and take all the summer shit out and make room for the fall. Wait, so that's just it, for kids? Because I do that too. <laughs> where do you put your fall stuff? In the guest bedroom. <laughs> you have two closets? Yeah. I have my You've... full walk-in in the master and then the guest. Shut up. You have seasonal closets? Yes, most certainly. I don't even have a full closet to myself. I have half a closet. Colin gets a quarter of the guest bedroom closet. <laughs> Wait a minute, he doesn't even get anything in the (laughs) walk-in? Absolutely not. (laughs) Oh my god, I've never been in your closet. I'm going next time. Feel free. He does have a much larger dresser than I do, though. Oh, please, give me a break. So what is it, just like full of blue dresses? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, you don't even know how good you have it. I would love to have a walk-in closet. Because I've been building up to this my whole life. Like I've been waiting for this moment and now I have arrived. This is another hashtag life and benefits or benefits of life with no kids. Oh, yeah. All day. All day. All day. (laughs) You're like, I'll just take this closet and I'll take this closet and this one. Yep. So when do you do your wardrobe switch out? Probably not till mid-October. I mean, we've got a couple of cool days now, but it's going to be back in the 80s and 90s the rest of the week and next week. And I mean, luckily, the guest bedroom is just down the hall. So if I need to pull out some warmer clothes, I can easily. You don't have to go far. You don't have to go We also have AC units, you know, like oh, yeah. a, a gajillion of them. And so um, we have to plan the day, then we take all those down, you know, yeah. and like switch those out for, you know, fans or nothing. Um, and that day keeps getting later and later and later. I don't think we've ever had them in this late. Global warming, friend. It's <sighs> awful. I hear you. 
Um, I'd like to make an announcement. Okay. <laughs> the pool is draining as we speak. Oh. It is. Did you figure out the algae issue prior to? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No. It has just sat. We, we, we call it the science experiment. <laughs> <laughs> That's so gross. It is just sat for, I mean, it's got a filter, so it's like moving water and filter. It's not just like still water um, collecting stuff, but it is still collecting stuff mm-hmm. um, for weeks. 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 I feel really bad because we missed out on a whole end of season. For sure. You know? And it was there. And it would have come just... in clutch. Like so many of the other pools are closed already, but it's so fucking hot. I can't even tell you how many times I've been at our double header for softball and it's 97 mm. degrees. Mm. And I'm like, I would give anything to have a pool to go home and jump into. Yep. And truth is, I had one. You it did. just wasn't, it wasn't sanitary. This was not safe for humans. <laughs> it wasn't worth um, the rash. Yeah. 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 The skin irritations. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Or like, yeah, there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong. So it was best we stayed out of it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of lessons learned. Yeah. And um, 2022 pool season is going to be uh, a lot better. All right, folks. Write it down now. September 20, 2021. Brittany is already committing to next summer being better. Um, which I can only mean, only assume means that I will actually get to enjoy the pool. I know you never got it in. Never once. It, not once. And it also assumes that I can somehow figure out how to dry this thing out enough and store it properly that it's still a usable pool next year. So many variables. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I can like I can hear my husband rolling his eyes from here. I'm with you, Gabriel. I said to him, I was like, okay, so I think this is what we need to do. We need to do this and do this and do this. And he's like, why do you keep using the word we? <laughs> he's like, you sold me on getting a pool because you said you would take care of it. Mm-hmm. You singular. I'm like, I thought we were partners. It's like the kid with their first puppy. Oh, I know. Which is a whole nother thing we're going through right now, too. Should we talk about your fish? No? No? Ah, there's one left. (laughs) (laughs) One sole survivor. (laughs) The other one... The other one that just died last week, I mean, he lived a long time. And one of the fish had eaten part of his fin. And so he, like couldn't he wasn't in balance and he was like swimming so like erratically well not in circles but like it just looked like it took him he had to work five times harder than anybody else and he passed and harper's like man he was a fighter (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious oh my god uh, um, one thing I could say is we seem to be in a lot better mood than <laughs> our last episode. Very true. Very, very true. Um, come into this Monday with a new sense of energy and excitement. 
um, probably buoyed by a week of events. Yes, absolutely. Tis the season. We emceed our first in-person event last week. Yes, we did. Think yes, it went we did. All right? Guess what? I don't even think I told you this, but I was then approached to emcee another event this week. Ah. Yeah, because wow. they saw our Instagram post. Nice. And maybe heard the rumors that we crushed it. Definitely that. <laughs> Definitely that. There was one attendee who so seriously approached me afterwards and said that we need to go on tour. I don't know no. what on tour emceeing looks like, but um, I'll add it to the list. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so many dreams coming true. It was our first um, in-person event, though, doing something like that, emceeing. You know, we've been on conferences and um, plenary speakers for conferences and have done presentations, and they're all virtual. I mean, it's crazy to think that we started this podcast in December 2019, and little did we know that four months later, everything would change. So it was a little different having um, to worry about kind of like the lower half of my body. Yeah, like... All of a sudden, I was like, I have hands, and they shouldn't be where they are right now, but I don't know where to put them. <laughs> it was definitely a different experience. Uh huh. And I'm like, I have notes, and usually I just set them right out of my computer frame uh-huh. so I can read them. Like, what do I do now? Do I hold them in my hand? Do mm-hmm. I have to memorize it? Like, what? Yeah. And it instead of, like, texting... Like, oh, don't forget, we need to do this next. We were, like, on the side of the stage, like, whispering to each other, hoping people didn't, like, get distracted by us. A hundred percent. And I don't know if you felt it. I think you did because I saw the results. But I just amped up my psychic messaging abilities Uh Mm -hmm. as well to you. And I was just like, oh, I forgot to say that. You need to say this. Totally. And you picked it up. Every time. (laughs) And there was that one time that we got back on stage and I forgot I was supposed to talk first. Um, and we just stood there. Yep. Yep. That was awkward. But you picked it up. I did. I, ca- I caught that psychic message from mm-hmm. you of, oh, shit, I was supposed to be talking. Yeah. Yeah. Is that me? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so stay tuned. Who knows where this could go? I think we should add it on our website. Event MCs. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 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 Who knows? Um, But speaking of events, so we did that Tuesday. Then I went to my first in-person gala Saturday night in like two years, probably since your event in March of 2020. So true. So true. Um, How was it? It was was amazing and weird and wild. Um, They were able to move it outside. They required proof of vaccination. So like all of that felt really nice and safe. But I think everybody was just so excited to be there and be with each other. Like there was just this amazing energy, which was great because it buoyed them through the longest paddle raise of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And I say this knowing their executive director is a listener of the podcast, and I've already had this conversation with her. Um, I don't think it would have worked in normal circumstances, but people were willing to go with it because we were just so happy to be there. And it was hugely successful, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They they hit their mark um, despite efforts against that, I think. 
<laughs> there was a couple of uh, guest speakers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple people who were definitely not sanctioned. Like um, impromptu, it was passionate. Like- it's like at the wedding reception when like the drunk uncle just comes up and grabs a the mic. A hundred percent. That's exactly what I was envisioning. And the bride's just sitting there like, oh, what the fuck? Sit down. I, I'm quite sure that there were a couple moments like that. Um, but again, people went with it. We rolled with it because it was an amazing night. And everyone was, pro- like you said, just so excited to be out and together and yeah. dressed up and supporting a great cause. And that's hysterical. <laughs> My little table, we all came down from Longmont together into Boulder. Um, and so afterwards, we're like, oh, yeah, let's go grab a drink. And so we're sitting there. And at like 11, we're all like, this is such a bad idea. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has the stamina anymore because no. we're all used to going to bed so early. Seriously. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Well, I also went to an event on Saturday mm-hmm. night. It is not nonprofit related, but I feel like what? I want to share it anyways, just so that we have it recorded for historical purposes um, in the future, in that we took my nine-year-old daughter to her very first Grateful Dead show. Oh, my gosh. Did she love it? She gave zero fucks. <laughs> you could have been at home with the speaker just really loud and it would have been the exact same it was like she had no clue that there was even a concert happening Mm -hmm. she was just excited that one of her best friends was there and so they were running around to playing together and there were multiple times where i said hey you see there's a stage there right (laughs) and there's there's a band playing um and granted the people watching was top notch always i mean top notch that crowd right there oh my gosh and she was seeing some things she's never seen before like she told me mom look that man's trying to look spiritual (laughs) i don't even know what that meant but i was dying like i don't know what translated as spiritual to her but i knew exactly what she meant i was like yes there's a lot of those people here Um, and then at one point in time, she looked at me and said, um, so do they sing any words with these songs? (laughs) Because they were on like a 15 minute jam. And Uh, I'm like, you just have to wait. They'll bring it back. You just have to wait. Um, it was priceless. It was so funny. It was so fun. And now she'll be able to say that she saw Phil Lesh and that she saw her first dead show at nine. And honestly, the venue could not have been more perfect. Um, We have this little, uh, it's not so little, but we have this venue about 20 miles from here up in Lyons, Colorado. That's gorgeous. Um, It's got a creek and these big rock walls and is outside and just perfect weather. So I was... I was really happy. And it was all vaccinated. Everybody had to be vaccinated. And there wasn't a ton, ton of people like some of these venues you go to. So I was really happy. Nice. So if this was your oldest daughter's first concert, Brittany, what was yours? We played this game the other day. It's so much fun. Um, To be fair, this was not her first concert. This was her first Grateful Dead concert. Because she will correct you. Um, that, well, really her younger sister will correct you, that their first concert was the one and only Jojo Siwa. Oh, of course. Of course. (laughs) How could I have forgotten? 
Um, but my first concert, I am not counting the Kenny G show that my mom took me to um, that was related to a work thing that no, she had. No, yeah, definitely doesn't count. I'm not counting that. Um, was MC Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I was not expecting that whatsoever. Too so legit good. to quit. Too legit to quit, baby. It was awesome. Oh, How about yours? That. Uh, <laughs> mine's a bit niche. Um, Newsboys? Is that a Christian thing? Yeah, there it is. I knew it! <laughs> Christian rock out of Australia? Mm-hmm. I um, bet they were all the rage. They were in my circles. Yeah. Um, and if you want to know more about Nia's evangelical period, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Well, before we jump into our episode today, do you have something for us? I do. And it's perfect because it ties in today's topic. Here we go. Why did the scarecrow get the job? Because he scared crows? No. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. He was outstanding in his field. That's funny. Thank you. That's funny. That's funny. (laughs) So this is a great segue, like you said, into our topic today, which is hiring. And I know our longtime listeners are going to be like, "Um, excuse me, you've already done a hiring episode. How can you do two in your first 100 episodes? Well, friends, (laughs) it is September 2021 and hiring is is legit right now. It is no joke. There's a lot going on, and we felt like it was important to address, it's not post-pandemic, waning pandemic hiring. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. Um, As they say, we're going through the great resignation Mm -hmm. where people have um, reprioritized their lives and have decided um, really what they are willing to do and not do anymore, especially those that had been given the opportunity to work from home and then maybe their offices were like okay you know back in june remember a couple months ago when we thought this thing was behind us yeah 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 that was a good time that's fine yeah that that was like a great two weeks Mm -hmm. and um all the businesses said okay time to come back come back to the office and people were like "Uh -uh." no no, thank you i'd rather not i'm not gonna do that anymore Mm -mm. And then um, that's when the negotiations started around, well, maybe can I just do one day, two day, three days? And I know that's been really hard for a lot of companies to try to figure out what their policy is. Yes, yes. Um, I think there's both that like remote work thing, but also just reprioritizing how work is. Um, I mean, we know nonprofit work is really, really hard. Um, and it takes a toll on us physically, on our mental health. And so some folks are opting out, which I totally get. Absolutely. I think, you know, we've seen this in a lot of different fields. I can speak directly to um, early childhood education just because I've worked in that industry the last couple of years and I've seen sort of the exodus of teachers, which I do not blame them. I totally get it. Um, And that's not just in early childhood, but I've seen that, you know, in school systems and uh, teachers deciding that they're going to retire early or, you know, this is a good time for me to 
think about a different career path. So COVID's done a lot to have us all do some introspection. It's so weird that these positions that are like so undervalued, suddenly we can't fill. Like what what the fuck is that? Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. I can't remember if I talked about this or not, but it's more relevant today anyway. Um, <laughs> a local Sorry. nonprofit, uh, a very large local nonprofit, um, has been really struggling to hire some of their direct care positions. And they work, um, a lot of their work is with adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And so the work is is hard. I mean, it's dealing with fecal matter and dealing with sometimes really challenging behaviors. And you said it. You said it. Yeah. You actually said it. Yeah. Fecal. Fecal. Fecal matter. Just put it out there. Um, Let's get real. And yeah, I don't want to have to do that for 16 bucks an hour. Um, and so this organization hosted this like online brainstorming of what can they do because they have so many openings and people who are just not wanting those direct care positions. Absolutely. And I, that really is kind of the genesis of this episode is the fact that Nia and I have been working with more and more clients who are going through a... Um, well, they're going through the hiring process, but they're also going through the hiring process multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to find work. And obviously, you and I, we've got a special lens, especially towards fundraisers. And those jobs are so hard to fill right now. Very hard to fill. If you are, I think we said this before, if you're a fundraiser and you're pretty good at it, like there is a market right now you can pick and choose where you want to work <laughs> yes totally um to help ground this conversation i do have some numbers for us great um so you know we got our jobs data last month or last week for the month prior so in august nonprofits added 42,000 workers in the u.s um so that means that since pre-pandemic we only have a loss of four and a half percent which is pretty good. Like that means that nonprofits have, have come really close to making up for all those losses that we had. Of course, though, what we know is that that is not universally shared. Um, the majority of that figure, the 42,000, was hiring led by educational organizations. Mm -hmm. That includes, you know, some of our big advancement offices all the way down to, you know, your local school district foundation, that sort of things. Um, they added 28.5, no, yes, 28,500. <laughs> I was going to add a go. million onto it. <laughs> <laughs> they added 28,500 workers in August. So a lot of them going into that sector, which, of course, we know are some of the highest paying fundraising jobs. Sure. And I'm sure the timing of that, too, being right before the school year. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, arts and entertainment only added 5,500, so they still have the hardest hit. Um, Oof, yes, they are 17.4% fewer jobs in arts and entertainment nonprofits than there were before the pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, not universally sharing between different types of organizations, but also we know between different types of positions. Direct service of anything seems to be the hardest to fill by far, Um I'm hearing from all my clients. They can't find like case management kind of roles. Um, anything that has odd hours, like overnight shifts, nobody's wanting those especially. Yep. And then you get up to like the highly skilled roles, like 
director levels in fundraising, you, you can't find the people. You're right. And, you know, to go back to what you're saying about arts organizations, um, I, I'm, I just feel so bad for them because I know the last couple of years has been really hard, especially these arts organizations who a big part of their revenue is a fee for service, right? Is through ticket sales or uh, performances or classes. Um, and they've really had to change their revenue model. Mm -hmm. They've been forced to, to survive. Um, and so for a lot of them, I know they've had to now say, oh, we actually have to fundraise. Yeah. Like fundraise, fundraise. So we need to hire somebody who knows how to do this. Mm -hmm. And so um, their need for a good development director or a good fundraiser is even more dire. Yeah. Um, one positive shift that I've seen um, in years past, if I had a client who was saying, oh, we can only afford this job part-time, I would always tell them it is really hard to, to fill part-time jobs. That seems to have shifted. And I think it's mainly because people are realizing that they don't want to work full-time, you know, like the, all those pandemic shifts mm -hmm. that have happened. Mm -hmm. And so part-time jobs are able to be filled now, I would say at a similar rate to full-time, which is really a massive change. Um, again, specifically thinking fundraising kinds of roles. Um, yep. Two years ago, I would have said, don't don't waste your time and money. You're not going to be able to hire anybody. You know, what's interesting about that, too, is that you can find some really talented people if you have the flexibility like that. And yeah. part-time doesn't necessarily mean half-time. Right. Right? So maybe it's just 30 hours a week instead of 40 or 25. And I think if you open yourself up to that kind of flexibility, you obviously open up your applicant pool and you can work with people to find out what they need. What is not going to work though, and what I still see happening, is you cannot take a 40-hour-a-week job or more, or more, let's be honest, and crunch it down to 20 hours and expect somebody to say okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, candidates are being a lot savvier at looking at what the responsibilities are within the job description and being realistic about, is that really a 20-hour-a-week job? Because if it's not, I'm not going to do it. Like, I'm not going to work another 20 hours a week for free yeah. because you can't afford to pay full-time work. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you familiar if you've seen any of the stuff on like the four-day work week? Yes, ish. Yeah, so it, it's this whole concept of like we are actually – our productivity declines the more hours we work every week. And so actually working 32 hours in four days, not not pushing 40 hours into four days, but like actually cutting back to 32 hours a week – increases productivity and happiness and job satisfaction and all these things. Um, and post-pandemic, it has become really popular. Um, like there was a big push in Iceland and they've gotten all these great results. Um, and I'm seeing organizations attempt it. The biggest issue, though, is what you just said. They're like promoting this 32-hour work week, but they're still expecting you to do the job 
that requires 50 to 60 to get it done. And I'm like, that, that is not <laughs> that how this work. model works. That doesn't work. So that maybe work. these organizations need to just start with like getting to a 40 hour work week. <laughs> like, like, can we actually get our job done in five work days? And then we can work on reducing it from there. Well, it's interesting you say that many, 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 many moons ago, I had the privilege of being able to study abroad and I lived in France for a couple of months and I don't know if they still do, I don't keep up on it, but they back then had a very um, strict law about 35 hour work weeks. Mm And part of that was so that there was enough jobs for everybody mm-hmm. so that you weren't hiring somebody to take up two positions for the price of one and then leaving somebody else without a job. And I thought that that was really smart. And that was 20 plus years ago. And so it, um, you know, obviously different cultures have varying ideas of work-life balance. Um, and I could wax on about how Americans like, our striving can is killing us, mm-hmm. but um, that's great that this pandemic has forced us to look at things differently. Mm-hmm. It's forced us to slow down, and it's forced us to see a different way of life. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I know this is like so my capitalism talking, and fuck, I hate that. That's where my brain goes. But there was a this study I want to say like five years ago or so that said. Office workers, on average, spend two and a half days cyber loafing. Yeah. So if we reduce our work week and theoretically get rid of some of that stuff, yeah, our productivity is actually going to go up pretty significantly. I know, but isn't it interesting because that's people's um, argument for working at home, right? Mm-hmm. I actually get more work done when I work at home, mm-hmm. and I believe that. I totally I, do. I don't. It's not that I don't believe that. Um, but then there's the people that say, but by working at home and not being in the office, you're missing that cultural, that culture piece of the organization and you're not, um, like bonding as a team. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting the importance that they put on the water cooler talks, Mm -hmm. you know, the like shooting the shit in the hall. And it's true. There's some places that I've worked where, um, I can get more done interdepartmentally when I'm there on site because I can catch you as you're walking down the hall and force you to give me your time you know versus waiting four days for you to respond to my email and then me having to badger you for it right um so it's interesting when it comes to team dynamics Mm -hmm. you know is uh the productivity still there or or what are you exchanging yeah what's the trade-off I mean, in my mind, though, like what you're talking about, like that rapport building, that um, organizational culture development is part of productivity. Like that is part of how work gets done. So I put that in a totally different category than cyber loafing. Well, cyber loafing, sure. But I can't tell you how many times I've sat in somebody's office for 45 minutes. And I blame myself just as much as anybody because I like to talk. No. And and, just a little bit. And, you know, we're talking about, like, the most benign shit, you know, that has absolutely nothing to do with work. But that's, like, 45 minutes gone. Um, And we're going to hope Brittany's supervisor isn't listening to this today. Oh, but I'm not in the office anymore. So. <laughs> I have no one to talk to. I've got my dogs. I've got you. 
<laughs> That's why you call me three times a day. Okay. That is exactly why I call <laughs> you three times a day. So the other piece of this hiring that I wanted to bring up, because I've had a few different organizations put together job descriptions and say, can you send it or can I send it to you? Can you look it over? You know, tell me what it's missing. And I feel like, and I don't know if this is a nonprofit thing, but I feel like we need to do more to attract people to come work for us. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to offer them? Yeah. And I feel like that's missing. Yep. It's mostly like, oh, I want you to like run our grants program and do all of our data entry and create a planned giving program and do major donor uh, cultivation. And oh, also, we've got five events every year that you got to run and do, 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 do. And here, you're going to make $35,000 a year. So one, obviously, which... We don't even have to mention because we know it for a fact is that nonprofits underpay, right? Yep. But two, then it's like, yeah, but you don't say anything in here that says like what you're going to do for me. Yeah. I mean, it's like people are operating under the assumption that this is 2019 and candidates should be just like fawning over these organizations to get the job. It's like, no, market forces have shifted. Now the ball is really in the court of the candidate. So you need to be trying to attract them. You need to tell them why this is a job that they really want. Because quite frankly, they don't need you. They don't need you. And your mission that you've been relying on for so long to attract people to want to come work for you, it's only going to get you so far right now. Yep. It might get them to actually read your job description because they love puppies or they love, you know, whatever. Um... But if you're not outlining what you're going to provide for them, and I mean like flexibility, you know, are you doing in office? Are they expected to be in office? Is there flexibility around that? Is there flexibility in hours? Is there flexibility um, in office space? Um, What is the team like? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be a part of a decision-making group? Are they going to help lead the organization or are you just expecting all this from them and that's it? Yeah. And like what supports are they going to get? Yes. I I, I was reviewing one recently in a similar vein as yours and I was like, okay, this reads like they are the only one doing fundraising in the entire organization. Yes. And the ED was like, oh, no, no, no. Like we've got this and that and we've got this committee. And I was like, okay, put that in there. Let them know that they have other people involved in fundraising and the weight of the world is not on their shoulders. Oh my God, the absolute best thing that you can do is talk about how your organization embodies a culture of philanthropy and that they you recognize that fundraising is a part of everybody's role. It's just this is the person who's going to be spearheading it, who's going to be managing it. Um, Because you're exactly right. I mean, when we think about the turnover rate, especially of fundraisers and why it is so and the ridiculous expectations of, okay, we finally got enough money to hire our first full-time development staff. Now come in and make back your salary in three months. It's just not going to happen. No, no. And candidates aren't interested in it right now. Exactly. We're now at the place of like, I don't want to do that. Right. Can we talk about hiring to increase diversity? Yes, absolutely. 
Whew. I'm going to say again, broad strokes, it's not going well. <laughs> it's really, really not. Um, and I think this is one of those moments where what I'm hearing from clients especially is we are just so desperate to get anybody. How can we prioritize this over that? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's an organization that hasn't really fully accepted DEI principles and made a true commitment to inclusion and equity. Um, right. Because this – Every time you hire is an opportunity to shift the diversity of your organization. And it's going to take work. Hard stop. Yeah. Like, if you are a white dominant organization, if you want to make these changes, you're going to have to commit to doing more. Um, And that means showing up differently, posting differently, um, interviewing differently. Like, you need to really be thoughtful about that. And I know that can feel like just one more thing. But if you're not doing it, you're probably not really committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion like you might be saying that you are. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, going back to these job descriptions that I've been reading and their qualifications. Oh, God. Right? Who are you going to find who's been doing fundraising for 10 years with a degree in nonprofit management that's going to take this job Right. that you've thrown everything in the kitchen sink in for the money that you're asking for. Totally. Uh, Get rid of degree requirements, please. Yeah. Everybody. All jobs. Really not all that relevant. No. Um, And I can say, I have a master's in nonprofit management. The number of times that I've actually used something I learned in my master's program, I could count on one hand. Well, I mean, we don't even need to go into all the degrees that I have that have absolutely jack shit to do with with what I do on a daily basis. Right. Right. You know, I mean, my two years of Sanskrit isn't really helping me be a better fundraiser. You're not using that for your year-end appeal? No, I only use it to read people's tattoos. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, get rid of those degree requirements. Um, Another interesting thing that I'm seeing pop up is requiring candidates to submit their own DEI statements. Yes, I think is a real interesting thing, especially when the organizations posting these jobs don't have their own. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to me that, you know, all of this is about signaling too. to me that signals an organization that is looking for a woke white person. And I'm putting woke in quotes. Interesting. Interesting. I saw one of those. I saw one of those. I mean, if they they asked uh, for each of the candidates to define diversity. Yeah, like, if I'm a person of color, like, what do you want me to say? Like, I'm a black woman. Okay. Like, I don't need to go any further. You know I know what the fuck's going on. Um, And it's another way that we let the organization off the hook. Yep. Your DEI statements or, or whatever you're utilizing to show your commitment to equity is another driver of potential candidates. It's another draw. It shows them the work that you're intending to do. Yep. So, of course, you can ask some of those questions in interviews, but stop putting the burden on the candidate, especially when you are specifically attempting to reach more diverse populations. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, also, side note, um, if you don't speak and aren't fluent in a foreign language, please don't say on your application that you are. As just, mm. a, just, just a random like note for candidates out there. I mean, I have no basis for 
why I would give that feedback. Um, but uh, yeah, just don't do that. Um, that is really great advice. Yeah. Yeah. The audacity of some folks. It's wild. Well, I would love to hear from everybody what they're finding. Um, are they having to hire right now? How is this hiring process different from years past? And what are you doing to try to attract, um, you know, great candidates to your organization or any candidates? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the other thing. Um, I don't know if it's happening so much anymore, but it was that um, – I think you have to be really mindful where you're posting, oh both from the fact of like posting some places um, that you can get in front of a more diverse audience, right? So being mindful and being um, strategic, like reaching out to uh, different groups that you know that would help uh, spread the word, but then also being mindful that you're not just posting on, I don't know, people post on Craigslist anymore an idealist and all those that just oh indeed oh indeed, indeed. yeah mm-hmm. indeed and then you get flooded with just random shitty. resumes shitty resumes shitty resumes and look i'm all about you know we talked about you don't need a degree but don't put a degree requirement i'm all about giving people a chance um if they have transferable skills or whatever but come on I mean, that's another thing that I've seen with some of my clients is they they're like, well, what about this person? I'm like, I don't I don't understand what that job history has any relevancy to the right? job you're posting. Seriously, and I don't understand this constant assumption that like sales is fundraising. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there are aspects of fundraising that utilize some of the same tools as sales but if somebody has never done any direct fundraising and their entire background is sales they are not equipped to jump in as a development director no no i mean not unless you're willing to like really put in the time and the training yeah i mean that that's the kind of skill set for an entry-level fundraising job where they could grow and learn and be trained but to like run your two million dollar fundraising program for the year no way stop it well, I'm always so skeptical of those people, too. Like, you worked in the movie industry. Like, why the hell do you want to do fundraising? You don't want to do fundraising. By the movie industry, do you mean, like, took tickets at the box office? No. Like, they were in production. Who like in who, Cal- do you, who are you getting who was in production of movies? <laughs> he interviewed someone. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Charismatic. I'm sure. Charismatic person. But zero experience in fundraising. And I'm like, I you're not gonna like this. Like fundraising is not for just anyone. Yeah. And so anyone who like just willy-nilly decides that they're gonna try it out, they're suspect in my book. Yeah. I I think that is absolutely fair to say. And yet, here's the other thing I wanted to bring up. Remember that conference we went to that we talked about in our last um episode? I went into a breakout session with a bunch of fundraisers and everybody went around and introduced themselves and almost every single person like did not intentionally go into fundraising. No, that that's so true. So, 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 so true. And I just kept thinking like, well, no wonder we have such a turnover rate. Like 
we're not training and recruiting. We're just like grabbing whoever we can and being like, why don't you try this? I went from an office manager to a development director within an organization. I I knew how to do accounting and billing. Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) I went from marketing manager to development director. I was on the search committee and we just couldn't find a good candidate. And so my boss was like, what about you? You want to try it? Okay. Yeah. Mine was like, um, the development director just put in her notice. You want to try? <laughs> what? <laughs> and here yeah. we are, still standing. I know, right? Uh, well, oh, for those of you out there attempting to hire, hang in there. It's, it's a bit of a slog. It's probably not you. It could be you. But it's probably not you. (laughs) Well, take a look. This is a great opportunity to take a look at those things that you can control. Right? So have somebody else look at your job description, give you some feedback on it, consider some of the things that we said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think really the takeaway from this is what you've done in the past, that kind of rinse and repeat hiring, it's not going to work right now. So take some time, be intentional, and make sure that you are able to really recruit the right kind of candidate you need. And think about what you can offer. I mean, some of these other uh, sectors, right, they can do like sign-on bonuses, and and we don't have that in our industry. So get creative about what is it that people really want, you know, Mm -hmm. and can you offer that instead? And to me... It's always been flexibility and time, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't know what it is for your organization, ask your other staff. Ask yeah. them why they still work there. I yeah. bet you you'd get some really great answers. Great. Well, how can they tell us about all this good stuff? Um, yes, please email us, especially your interview fails. Those are just like some of my favorite, favorite oh my things They're ever. They're so funny. They're so funny. Um, people are wild. Um, anyway, you can email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe. You remember that one woman I interviewed and she brought up anal? Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I was just thinking of, actually. <laughs> I just had to say it out loud again. Amazing. I love Amazing. that you're okay saying that, but like calling me out for saying fecal matter. <laughs> Whatever. Because fecal is like, it's like you're trying to upplay poop. You know. Upsell poop. Yeah, upsell. (laughs) It's the bougie poop. (laughs) It's the bougie poop. It's like the more medical professional poop. Um, Okay. (laughs) I'm dying. And don't forget to support your local nonprofits. Give and give generously. Thanks, folks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.